Okay, we are going to the book of Acts today, Acts chapter 2, and, and we can kind of separate Acts 2 into three, into three kind of movements. The first movement is the coming of the Holy Spirit, so it begins with the Spirit coming, and then the second movement is we get a sermon. Uh, Peter stands up and he, he preaches the first sermon of the church. The Holy Spirit comes, leads him to confess. And then the last movement is going to be the focus. It's the people's response to that sermon and what the apostles say with the Holy Spirit to the people when they're cut, when they're cut to the heart. So, Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all, those, all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to what, one another, What does this mean? Others, mocking, said they're filled with new wine. So here's the first movement. And I like what the descriptive words of the people that are witnessing this event. This mighty rushing wind, these tongues of fire appearing over people's head, and they're speaking in the native language of which they understand, and yet these are Galileans. How can this be? What, how are the people responding so far? Acts chapter 2. They must be drunk. <laughs> right. Some, some mocking said, these people are drunk. They're filled with new wine. They were amazed. Yeah. Um, the, the descriptive words are, uh, we, we heard amazed, they're astonished, they're perplexed. Um, as I was looking at the Greek... One of my favorite kind of English words that I think sums it up is confounded. Mine uses dumbfounded. Dumbfounded. <laughs> yeah. And, and you can kind of put yourself in their shoes and realize, yeah, that, 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 would, that would sum it up for me, right? When the Holy Spirit comes, there always is a sense of otherworldliness happening in front of my eyes, and I don't quite understand it. Um, like when, a, when, a, when we see a little baby at the font being baptized, is there not a sense of confoundedness there, perplexity? So, something is happening that is amazing 
and you're astonished and you're amazed, but also you don't quite grasp everything that's taking place. Do you have that sense at a baptism like I do? Same thing in front of the altar when we come up to receive the, the Eucharist. Is it not the same? You're, you're amazed and you're astonished and you're kind of bewildered and this otherworldly thing is happening right in front of your eyes and, and it's there and you see it and, and, and they're hearing it and they're amazed by it, but on, on the other hand, they're, they're perplexed by it. How can this be? How can this be? That's right. And it's no different, the Holy Spirit acting among us through these same gifts, as we'll see, through baptism, through communion. How can this be? And yet, we're amazed. So you see these. there's two groups in Acts 2, right? At the end, you have... You, we're already kind of notified of two different reactions. What's reaction number one? Verse 12, they were amazed, perplexed, saying, what does this mean? So you have the people kind of inquisitive, like, huh, wonder what's going on here. Sounds like a Nicodemus. He's also inquisitive. But then you have this other group of people, and where are they? Way off. <laughs> they are way off. <laughs> They're just, they're not having any of it. From the moment they start seeing this to them, it's all shenanigans. It, it, it's all, you know, some sort of contrived thing. It's all for show. It's all for, for it's all a manipulative thing. They're, they're not having any of it. They say they're mocking the spirit. They're mocking the apostles. They're mocking what they say. Verse 13, and they say they're filled with new wine. So we have these two groups. Their eyes are not open. Their eyes are not open. No, they're not. Um, and so to this, we move to the second part in Acts chapter 2. So the Holy Spirit has arrived. The apostles are proclaiming in, in the native tongue of these people, and the people are responding all across the board. And then we get a sermon. So we get Peter's sermon. This is the first sermon of the church. And it's a beautiful sermon because it is law and gospel and it proclaims Christ crucified and risen from the dead, which is the heart of every Lutheran sermon 2,000 years later. So this is the pattern of the preaching of the church that Peter establishes. So Peter stands up, verse 14, with the eleven. He lifts up his voice and addressed them and says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So you know it's going to be a good sermon when it starts off like that. They're not drunk because it's, it's the morning. And this is, so he's, he moves to the prophet Joel. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel starts with the Old Testament passage. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Now you might be wondering, what does Peter mean by, by quoting Joel chapter 2 here, the very beginning of his sermon? Well, he unpacks it for us, the rest of his sermon. We don't have to speculate. He keeps preaching. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's the law at its work. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured, this, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So, Peter's sermon. Effective? Yes. Yes. It is effective. How do we know it's an effective sermon? They heard it. They did hear it. They received it. How do we know that they heard it and that they received it? Fellow Jews, what should we do? Yeah. yeah. And they were watched the quick, you know, and they really got them. Yeah, we're told we're told in verse thirty seven. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now think about that for a second. To be cut to the heart. Another translation put it this way. They were pierced in their heart. What happens to a pierced heart? It bleeds to death. Right? A pierced heart, a cut heart dies. The law it killed them. They were cut to the heart. They, had, they were pierced to their heart. The law brought them low. It had crushed them. They were dead. What, what about the law had crushed them? What did they need to hear? What did they realize that they were dead in? Sin. Yes, yeah, sin. Well, the fact that they'd be killed 
That's it. They didn't receive Jesus for who he said he was. They killed him. And they realized through the law that they killed God. You crucified and killed him because you thought he was just a man. But God raised him from the dead. And they realized in that moment that they had done the worst thing that you could possibly do. The law had done its work. Their hearts cut. Can you say that they were hard-hearted before and their hearts were so cold? Yeah, yes, you could. Yeah, they were hard-hearted before, but now through the preaching of the law, their hearts are rendered. They, it is, their hearts are burst open. They, re, they, they realize, they're cut to the heart, and they say, they say to the apostles, to all of them, what must we do? So the Holy Spirit is working. Now, that's the, next, that's the last, that's, yes, that's the whole point, is how is all this happening? How is it that they hear how is it that they're brought to repentance? How is it that Peter preaches? It's all the work of the Spirit. The Spirit's at work. The Spirit's the one who causes men to proclaim God's word, and the Spirit is the one that causes the heart to be cut. The Spirit's the one that works repentance in the hearts of men. And they cry out, brothers, what shall we do? And, and, and there's, there's a threefold cry to this, right? Not only... In, in saying to the apostles, what shall we do first? They're completely confessing their guilt. There's a complete confession that they are guilty. What are we to do now? We, we, we made a terrible mistake. We saw Jesus the wrong way. We, didn't, we did not receive him for who he said that he was, and we killed him. So what do we do now? And the second aspect to it is they are recognizing their, their complete sense of helplessness. They're not looking to themselves to figure it out. They're not thinking, well, what, what should I do now? How can I figure, how can I make this right? They're pleading with the apostles. What do we do? They're helpless. There's not 1% of them that's going to figure this out or get them out of this bind. And, and that's the third aspect of this confession, is that they're completely submitting to who? Who are they asking? They're submitting to the apostles. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They say to Peter and to the rest of the apostles... You tell us what to do. Complete submission to the apostolic witness. They have received the word. The spirit has cut them to the heart. And now they are running to the apostles themselves. And they are submitting themselves to the apostles. And they're saying to them, whatever you say we have to do, we're willing to do it. With me? So, what do the apostles say to them? This is, this is the last part of the section, which, which ties into our study on baptism. Peter says to them, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what do, what do the apostles, what does Peter tell them to do? Repent. Repent. Which they have already done. Yes. Because they didn't personally kill Christ, but, but they go ahead and they, it, the Holy Spirit makes them see it's still their fault. Well, or that they're, yeah, go back to Peter's sermon. Go back to Peter's sermon, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. So is it just guilt by association? You did it. In your heart, you did it. You did it. Your sin, your unbelief, your wickedness, you killed him. Could Peter preach the same to you today? Very much. You killed him. You crucified him. God came here because he loved you. Because he sought to gather the sheep under his fold, like a mother hen gathers her chicks. And yet you killed him. Oh, what wickedness you have done, O Israel. They're cut to the heart. The law lays them low. What shall we do? Repent, be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. This promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone. Is anyone excluded from this gift? No. <laughs> he says for everyone. Yeah, Rachel. The question here that's worth um, discussing, back to Luther's teaching in the Catechism, does baptism bring forgiveness of sins? Asking a room full of Lutherans, it shouldn't be <laughs> difficult. Well, yes, it does go. Yes. Yes, it does. Verse 38. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. What is baptism for? It's for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what Peter says. That's what the word says. So that's what we believe. Now, does that kind of perplex me? Does it kind of amaze me, but on the other hand, confound me? Yes. So is life in the Holy Spirit. You're never going to have the Holy Spirit figured out. You believe it by faith. Which, thankfully, the Holy Spirit creates. So if you don't believe it, then you keep listening to the word. The Spirit will do its work. 
Keep reading verse 38 again and again and again. Do you believe it or not? Because we're born into sin. It's from original sin. It's from, we did this from the very beginning. That's right. Yeah, and so this idea that we are um, baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, I wanted to look at Acts twenty-two sixteen, and then Psalm 103, 12, and Micah 7, 19. So act, first, Acts 22. Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So this idea that to be baptized is to wash away sins, or baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Look at Psalm 103.12. We have the same idea, the, the washing away this idea of sending away or getting rid of as far as the east is from the west so far does he send away remove our transgressions from us look at micah seven nineteen. god will again have compassion on us he will tread our iniquities underfoot you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Someone have a different translation on Micah 7, 9, 7 19. 7 19. You will relinquish? Vanquish. Vanquish our iniquities and where? All our sins in the depths of the sea. Casting all of our sins into the depths of the sea. What is it, Brian? Drown, okay, yeah. That to cast something into the depth of the water to kill it is to drown it. And what is being drowned? Sins. Is that actually happening? Yes, we say. Yes. The word says so, so of course it is. Timothy, what's your what's Beck say? You will again love us. Subdue our wrongs and throw all our sins into the deep sea. Into the deep sea. Very good. Okay. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Is this for children? They're included in everyone. Well, they're included in for your children. But let's back up. The Old Testament covenant, the Old Testament covenant, was that for children? The Old Testament covenant of circumcision. Yeah, it was. Um, how old was the Old Testament covenant? How old were you when you received the Old Testament covenant? On the, on, eight, on the eighth day. Oh. The eighth day. The eighth day. The eighth day. The day of the new creation that we're baptized into. Now, if God, if God included even infants into the mark of the Old Testament covenant, it would... It would make sense that he would include even infants in the New Testament covenant. 
And this is Paul's very argument in Colossians chapter 2. Let's look at Colossians 2. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Talk about combining circumcision and baptism and the forgiveness of sins and the cross all in like three verses of scripture, but it's all there. Where's the forgiveness of sins? Where is it? Where God declares it is. Yes, and in here, where is the forgiveness of sins? Baptism, baptism yes. Where else is the forgiveness of sins? The Eucharist, yes. Where does God disarm sin, triumph over our enemies? Colossians 2. Cross. The cross. Forgiveness of sins at the cross? Yes. It's all there. How does the forgiveness of sins from the cross get to me? Baptism. This is why Christ institutes it. Can you and I go back to the cross? The cross happened 2,000 years ago. The cross has to come to us. We can't go back to the cross. If we could, we would. But the cross comes to us, and all the benefits of Christ's death comes to us through means. Mean, one of which is baptism, as the apostles say. For the, back, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now let's look at Romans 6. We have time for Romans 6. Because it seems like in Scripture, every time baptism comes up, we're also talking about Jesus' death and the cross. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus.
Baptism connects you to what? Baptism plugs you into what specifically? Yes. <clears throat> Christ's death himself. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? So the Christian has already died. You've already died once. When you were baptized, your old Adam, you, your sin, it was drowned into the depths of the sea. Your sins removed as far as the east is from the west. And Paul's point is, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? You've been baptized. Does sin still have claim over you? Tries to. People are not perfect. They're fallible. What is the operative word in Romans 6? What's the thing doing all the action? Is it me? No. Is it me doing something? Is it me baptizing myself? No. What is the operative word in Romans 6? What is the thing that is active, doing everything, and you are the recipient. What is it? Christ's death. Christ's death. What, is, what does Paul say? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized in, into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death. Baptism is the operative word. It's something that is done to you. You don't baptize yourself. <laughs> it's something that's received, like, like the 100-year-old infirm person in the nursing home who has no idea what's going on, and yet they sit there, and their body is cleansed from head to toe because of the work of another, because they care for that person. What does that person do to receive that bath? Nothing. It's done to them. This is Peter's point. We look at 1 Peter 3. And this is a sticking point among the church. 1 Peter 3, verse, um, we'll back it up to 18, because you always see Christ's death where baptism is. <clears throat> What's the operative word? 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. Where are, we? Where are we? What are we talking about? It's crucifixion. But he was made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What saves you? Okay, baptism. That's, that one's simple enough. That's easy. Baptism saves you. What is the appeal to God for a good conscience? Who's the operative? What's the operative word for that? Is that you? Are you the one that's supposed to make the appeal to God for a good conscience? What's still the, what's still the subject? Baptism. Baptism saves you, not as a removal from dirt, but as an appeal, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Baptism does that. Baptism is that which appeals to God for a good conscience, not you. The baptism itself is doing it for you. Another way to put it, a seminary professor would say, baptism good conscience incises you. <laughs> okay. Like, there's no way for us to wrap around it in our English, but that's what Peter is saying. You are the passive recipient. It is not your appeal to God for a good conscience that saves you. Baptism, Peter says. Baptism. That is the appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which is why he can say just before, baptism saves. Does that make sense? That makes sense, Pastor, but I've seen the untouchables at Marshall State School and Hospital and the Half Center where the rights have been signed off. Where do you, where do you, how does God save them if they're not baptismal? Because there's no caretaker. And that was 50 years ago, mm -hmm. and now it's completely different how we house these individuals for, through foster care and group homes. But what about the kids whose rights have been signed away? Well, I think that... I think that it lies in the responsibility of the state to take care of life, but it's always the responsibility of the church to take care of the soul. And while the state is doing its best job to take care of the body, we have a responsibility as Christians to get the word to those people so that they hear, so that the spirit might come to them. Because we don't believe the Holy Spirit can work through free food. The Holy Spirit works through the word of God and the means of grace. That's what they need. So it falls on us to get in there somehow and, and to make sure they hear. <clears throat> I wanted to share two quotes. <clears throat> this one, first one's from Cyprian, 1 Peter 3, that baptism is the appeal to God that saves you. Cyprian, an early church father, says, Peter showed and vindicated the unity of the church by commanding and warning that we can be saved only through the baptism of Christ, just as in that baptism of the world by which the ancient iniquity was purged, the one who was not in the ark could not be saved through water, 
So now anyone who has not been baptized in the church cannot be saved, for the church is founded in the unity of the Lord and his teaching in the one ark of Christ. Here's a quote from Augustine. We talked about Augustine last week and his, his battle with Pelagius. Augustine says, If some people have the worst consciences, full of every fault and crime, unchanged by confession for their evil deeds, baptism nevertheless saves them. For on the basis of the foundation which is laid in baptism by Christ, they will be saved. There it is. That's it. Okay, next week we're going to keep looking at the scriptures. i got a few more passages I want to unpack. And then we're going to move to um, a historical debate that took place that will be, it'll be interesting. So let's end with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks everyone for coming.